Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 115. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is part two of my interview with Kyle Davies. The first part was episode 110. So just a few weeks back if you missed it. And I think it would definitely be beneficial to listen to episode 112, my interview with Daniela Paoloni, as well if you have not done so already before listening to this episode. But if you missed both of those, feel free to listen to this one and then go back. I think you'll find all of this discussion to be fascinating. We're talking about how chronic pain and chronic illness can be healed by the body and how connecting with your true self can make a difference. So in part one, Kyle talked about how the body works. And in part two, today he's going to talk about how he works to help people heal their chronic pain and chronic illness. Hope you'll enjoy. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is part two of my interview with Kyle Davies, the author of The Intelligent Body, Reversing Chronic Fatigue and Pain from the Inside Out. Kyle, thanks for coming back to Therapy Chat today. I'm so excited about being back. It's brilliant. I just hope that I don't repeat what I said in the first episode, but I'm sure you'll keep me on track just in case I do. You can slap me around a bit. Um, (laughs) Nonviolent, nonviolence only over here, but I will definitely help you remember what we wanted to talk about. But yeah, so in the the first interview we had, which aired just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about your book and all of the things that can be going on in the body to cause chronic fatigue and pain and sort of how those processes work. So let's kind of pick up where we were in and start off with um, talking about how emotions play a, a part in that. Emotions. Oh, it's a, it's a big word, emotions. It means so much to so many people, doesn't it? And uh, <laughs> there seem to be countless theories of, of what, it all, what, what, what it's all about. And my sense of it, most people think that emotion is a mental process. You know, you think some thoughts, you have some 
emotions and there if you want to change you the way you feel you change the way you think and my work really kind of goes against that it, it sort of struck me when I wrote the book and I looked into some of the theories of emotion a lot of them were kind of trying to explain what's going on what's going on inside and there didn't seem to be a great deal that was looking at the role that emotion plays in health now I would have to admit I'm probably not completely up to a, up to speed with all the all the academic research that's that's taken place at the moment, but it, there didn't seem to be a, a great deal to me. So I've I think through my probably really through my practice and working with people and my own intuitive feelings on it, what I've written in the book is my my own little take on what emotion is. You know, and I've, I've borrowed ideas from here and there as well. But it strikes me that emotion is a complex physiological process that is affecting sort of all of the body and all of the brain, certainly the, the, the major organs of, of the body. And we know that the, the gut and the heart and the, the non-thinking part of the brain play a huge role and that our emotional processing occurs at far higher speeds than our cognitive processing. So whilst the majority of strategies to try to change one's emotion uh, involve thinking, that to me seems somewhat futile if our emotion is affecting our thinking. So my sense of it is that there's kind of a few things that uh, that uh, affect our, our emotion. One of them really is that the idea that our emotion arises inside of us. I think an awful lot of the time people think that emotion is triggered by some external event. And my approach is is more uh, in alignment with the idea that our emotion is somehow bubbling up from, from inside. And following the work of uh, Antonio Damazio, he, he talks about emotion as being a non-conscious process. Uh, I, I can't remember whether I talked about this last time, but he's what we, he's... We, you did touch on it, but I think it's great to review because it's so it's really so complicated and kind of can be hard to understand. So this is a good explanation to go more in depth with. So thank you. Please keep going. <laughs> so his idea is that, that there are different brain structures involved in the in the production of emotion and then feelings, with the idea being that emotions are supposed to trigger feelings, and obviously they happen simultaneously almost. And what we are, what we know is that we can uh, block our emotional feelings, but uh, which means obviously we don't feel, but that doesn't mean that that our emotion stops. Uh, our emotion is still bubbling away underneath and therefore is affecting the brain, affecting the body. And ultimately, from my, my perspective and the perspective of people experiencing symptoms of one sort or, or another, the fact that emotion is still being produced, it, get, it, it backs up, it builds up, it gets blocked. And then that leads to a, a rewiring of, of the, the uh, emotional midbrain. So I think that for me, emotion, the idea that my emotion is arising inside of me is 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 useful. And there's I guess there's two sort of idiosyncratic approaches I take. One is that uh, in terms of being empowered and looking at emotion in useful ways, I, I tend to talk about emotion as being a feedback mechanism which my body is sending me as a result of my interaction with my environment. 
Now, I, I also talk in the book about this slightly nebulous idea about a, a true self, which is a, a quasi-spiritual notion that there is this, this energy, this consciousness that flows through us. And we don't necessarily have to define it, but there is this deeper true self with, uh, that is within us. So I look at emotion as being feedback about our interaction with our environment, inviting us to align with our true self. And I look at our intuitive feelings, things like realizations, inner knowings, little gentle nudges, epiphanies, those things as being direct communication from our true self. And then our emotion as being a little tap on the shoulder to remind us that we need, if we can, to act in alignment with that true self. And I, I, you know, a lot of my work is focused on being empowered. And the idea of that is rather than looking at my emotions being triggered by something outside of me and then me frantically trying to change something outside of me or blaming something outside of me, if I can look at my emotion as arising from inside of me as maybe an indication that I might either be deviating from my true self or that I simply need to align my actions or my words with my true self it it, it it by taking away the judgment of external circumstances it it reduces our suffering hugely my sense of it is you know we are we're designed to experience all of our feelings and as long as we allow them they can flow through us but frequently what we do is we automatically kind of resist them or block them because we think we're going to drown in them or we think they are who you know who we are or we or we're tra frantically trying to fix outside life and we're judging outside life we often judge life and we judge ourselves and that puts a layer of what i see as suffering on top of whatever emotion i might be feeling so if i'm in the workplace and my my boss is doing something that i don't like and i'm I'm allowing it to happen. And my body, should we say, sends me the emotion of anger. I would say that, well, my body is inviting me to align with my true self and, and act in, in, a, in an authentic way in that context, rather than saying my boss makes me angry, because that judgment will really lay, you know, add, add a layer of, in inverted commas, suffering to the emotion that I'm experiencing. So that's my kind of sense of what emotion is it's that you know it's it's a simple idea really that it's feedback about our interaction with our environment but i guess what i try to do with my work is is have people focus on the emotion that they're experiencing now so you know borrowing from the idea of of candice pert you know she talked about uh, our emotion as being sort of no different from uh, feelings of hunger or feelings of tiredness they're just feedback mechanisms so I, I you know I tend to look at with my clients tend to look at emotion as being something that is happening now and because many of the people I work with are not really feeling their emotions because they've learned to block their feelings their body is then sending symptoms so I, I'm translating symptoms back into what the emotions would be underneath and it's and I'm obviously I'm doing that in the present moment so if a person you know has uh, an increase in symptoms of pain or fatigue or stomach or bowel you know upset at 2 30 on a tuesday afternoon i'm translating it back to uh, emotion 
that is present in their body that they're not feeling at 2.30, you know, on that Thursday afternoon. And it's making it very much about now. And it can be that there is something that connects to things in the past, as it usually does. History repeats itself. And it's very often the case that the the pattern of blocking emotion, certainly around, you know, particular contexts or with certain people, we will usually have started early in childhood. But my my focus for the most part is you know, understanding those patterns, but then looking at what somebody can do now. So it's the idea that emotion is about now. And from that perspective, I I don't try to change people's thinking. It's just, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, the idea that, well, our emotion, you know, I don't believe that we can, in this moment, we can control the emotion that we have. And I I think that those self-help ideas that are about completely taking charge and control of your emotion are misguided. I don't think we necessarily can control the, the the emotional feelings that we have in this moment. I think we can take steps to affect the direction of our emotion into the future by where we place our attention. I think our behavior, our words, our thoughts, our actions today affects the the emotion that we can potentially experience tomorrow and the day after and the day after. But in this moment now, I don't think I can control the emotional experience that I have. And allowing it to flow is far better, I think, than just trying to change it. It's it's interesting to me. I think that I think we would remove an entire layer of suffering if we allowed ourselves to suffer a little. So if we almost embraced the emotional feelings that we had without believing that it's me, without believing that I'm going to drowning it, with a, a sense of knowing that it's part of my experience. It, it will flow through me if I allow it. it Maybe I need to take action on it. It may be that I just need to feel it. If we can do that and we can allow it to flow, knowing that arises inside of me without having to fix the, the environment around me, we, I think we remove an entire layer of suffering. My sense of it is, for the most part, People are, they, you know, we're driven to alleviate our internal discomfort, and I think in doing that, because almost everybody believes that their their feeling experience is directly caused by an external event, people are all almost automatically, frantically trying to fix their environment in order to fix their feelings. And if they can turn that around and believe that, well, actually, well, yes, I'm go. There's going to be an. There's going to be this energy within the environment. I'm not. I can't extricate myself from the from the environment entirely. However, if I can believe and feel into the notion that my emotional experience is arising inside of me, and it it will fluctuate. You know, moods change. So I don't always have the same emotional experience or the same feeling experience to the same external event. So knowing that and knowing that arises inside of me means I don't have to frantically fix life outside of me. And that means, well, I can allow myself to feel what I feel. I can believe that everything I feel is all right. So I'm accepting myself. My emotion is not a problem and doesn't need to be fixed or solved. It's just feedback. And I think the more we can do that, the more our uh, resulting behavior is constructive and the less we we will suffer, if that makes sense. I, I'm I'm covering a lot of stuff there quite quickly, aren't I? I hope I'm not rambling too much. No, no, you were. That was really fascinating. I thought, and 
I was thinking a ton while you were talking. One thing I would like to say is that the idea that changing your thinking is a solution, you know, I hear from so many people who kind of, they come to therapy and they're disgusted with themselves because they can't change the way they think. And they're, you know, they're saying, I know I shouldn't think this way. I know I should just tell myself not to do that. And, you know, it's like that reveals the limitation of the changing your thinking. Yeah, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? Really? Right. I mean, it's, and it, it's interesting, actually, just on a, on that point. So I'm, I've got a client at the moment who's going through divorce. And the first her first session, her, she'd had, a, we were talking about essentially the massive layer of suffering she was experiencing, because uh, she was trying to normalize the emotions that she was having. And because, as I was saying earlier, our emotion will flood through and affect our thinking. As soon as emotion is present in the body and the, and the brain, the, our thinking centers light up. So thinking begins, and which is understandable, really. But I, I think, you know, back in the olden days when we were probably living in tribes in the jungle being chased by bears, having emotion and then thinking is you're quickly thinking about how to escape. But I think the types of the, the mind loops that seem to we seem to have evolved into is where we were trying to find meaning or analyze the, the, the emotions that we're, we're feeling. We're trying to solve them or, you know, this sort of stuff in rather than, you know, looking for actions to take. So people get caught up in, in these really destructive mind loops. So she was thinking a lot, trying to justify and qualify and normalize her her feeling experience even talking to to people about is it okay for me to feel this should i feel this should i be feeling something else so coming back to what i was saying you know earlier the simple idea of allowing everything you feel to be okay believing that my what i feel is not a problem and what i feel doesn't need to be solved. It may be that what I feel is is trying to give me a nudge to take some action out there in life, but what, what I feel in and of itself does not need to be solved. When we can be in that space, all of that suffering goes, but it also reduces the amount of mental chatter that we have. I think because we because of Facebook and social media and all this kind of stuff, we 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 are far too externally referenced in in my view. And this is I think it's a huge cause of lots of problems. I think, you know, certainly the, the people I work with with uh, anxiety more than anything else, their their external reference far outweighs their internal reference. So they're, they're always looking at trying to match themselves to some version of how they should be in the world. Uh, and of course, we're constantly getting this feedback from media about kind of how we should be. And that that massive deviation from true self Ultimately, you know, the body is, then tries to give us a nudge to say, you know, this you're deviating from your true self here. So I'm going to send you some symptoms, possibly anxiety symptoms, to try to bring you back on track. And of course, what I experience is people think that the symptoms are bad and evil, that they just want to lance like a boil. Whereas really, from my perspective, symptoms are always just a tap on the shoulder. So if it's anxiety symptoms, it's very often that there's a massive external reference. You know, reference. Somebody's wearing a mask. Somebody's trying to fit in to do the right thing to, to, to people, please. And in doing so, losing the essence of themselves, losing their connection with their with their true self. So I think, yeah, it's... Uh, 
And, and, and again, that idea that if emotion does affect thinking, which is what I find, is if we come back and deal with our emotion, the, I think I, my belief is that thinking takes care of itself. Uh, but if we try to, because I started my, my, my career, you know, I had a very uh, cognitive approach and I spent a long time trying to battle people's thinking and have them, you know, write out lists of positive things, moving their pictures and words around in their head and all this kind of stuff. And whilst there may be some temporary relief, it's in the in the kind of slightly medium or longer term, it's a lot of hard work to do that. And it, thinking seems to lead to more thinking in my experience. So you have to kind of keep applying these mental techniques to give you a little bit of relief. And I believe ultimately, if we really want to take make a step change and, and experience our uh, our potential we have to tap into our true self you know i think those times when people are successful when they're happy the best times in their lives are when they're in they're in a state of flow when they're connected to their true self they're not they're not in their head so i think that by training ourselves to be in our head with mental techniques tends to keep us in our head and prevents us from really accessing the fullness of of who we can be so I tend to avoid the, those those mind based techniques. Um, whilst I, I do do acknowledge that in the short term, if you're having you know lots of you know dysfunctional thoughts, that you know it it can help alleviate in the short term. But as a long term strategy, I'm I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I mean, our cognition serves a purpose, but it may not be the I kind of feel that the whole change your thoughts idea is really just telling you to suppress your reactions to your emotions, which again, that's just that it sort of is repeating that cycle that you're talking about, that you don't know what you feel. So you're blocking your feelings and then thus you end up reacting, reacting to them anyway, and not even knowing what you're reacting to. Absolutely. So going into that Talking about symptoms, you said that in your book, you say symptoms are solutions and you talk about symptoms as stuck energy. Can you explain a little more about that and how you work with that stuck energy? So go just go back to what I was saying a couple of minutes ago. I, I always look at symptoms rather than being some evil invader that's trying to crush our lives. If we look at it as my body is sending me some feedback, so I just need to pay attention, it puts an entirely different slant on it. You know, if I'm if I'm going out for a walk with my wife and a stone goes in my shoe, I, I feel a, a pain, a sharp pain in my foot. And of course that pain is useful, isn't it? If I if I don't feel that pain, then that stone will penetrate my skin, could in you know, could get infected, I could get gangrene and have to have my leg taken off. And another, that's been extreme. That could happen. <laughs> that would be incredibly unlucky, wouldn't it? Though? <laughs> yeah. But you know, we at that level, we we intuitively, intrinsically know that 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 pain is serving us a purpose. I look at symptoms as all symptoms in the same way. When we come to the conditions that I work with, anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue pain, fibromyalgia, those sorts of things. I'm looking at symptoms as being a blockage of our emotional energy and a, 
and, and a, really a deviation from our true self. So I guess what I'm saying is that when we deviate from our true self, we get feedback in a form of emotion. If we've learned to block our, our feelings, then we don't feel our emotion. So it gets stuck. In terms of how do I unblock that, it is it is about looking at what is taking place in the present. So, you know, the little example I used earlier, if somebody's in Starbucks at 2.30 on a Thursday afternoon and they have an increase in symptoms of some sort, could be anxiety, it could be a headache, you know, then I would say around that time, it could be right there in that moment, it could be that afternoon, it could be something potentially that's happened that morning. There's something where some emotion would have been blocked or there is a deviation, a significant deviation from true self. And the way I work with it is by uh, identifying when there are increases in symptoms, we begin to see patterns. And what I find is everybody has their own patterns and patterns connect to kind of deeper issues for the person, which is, you you know, I, I kind of blandly refer to as life lessons, just because history repeats itself for, for, for most people. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly, my group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. And, it, it, you know, for example, it could be that there is a, a person with boundary issues means in, in this context could mean that they they're often taken advantage of or treated badly. And what would that would that would be? That could be one of their patterns. And what we would then find is that symptoms would very often crop up around times where they'd been taken advantage of or somebody had been nasty to them or mean to them. Uh, and very often these things are quite subtle. And what happens is, is that in those instances, because the person is used to behaving in a particular way, the body, the emotion that the body would send is not felt so the body is cranking up the volume to try to get the person's attention and sending symptoms instead. Of course, what most people do is they focus on the symptom in all, and with, a, with an eye to how can I get rid of this symptom by working on the symptom rather than the symptom is my, is my body trying to tell me that there's some emotion blocked here, or I'm, I'm not being true to myself here. Let me have a look at what's going on. And if I've been working with that person and we've identified that boundaries is an issue for them, we could be looking at, okay, so what happened in Starbucks, you know, on that Thursday afternoon? And it, it could very often, it's, it's, it's very small things. You know, I think life is made up of a series of moments and in each moment, something small is happening. 
you know, it, it could well be that that person in Starbucks was given the incorrect change and has spotted in their hands that they they, they gave $20 for a, a $2 coffee and they were given sort of $3 change and they kind of walk away and there's a frustration that they don't really feel and all of a sudden they're sat drinking their coffee and they have, this, they have a headache that starts to, to come on. And probably what they would then do is blame the caffeine or something, or maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night, or maybe I'm not hydrated enough. These are the sorts of things that I tend to find. Is people are looking for them, something which is kind of obvious. And I suppose one of the tricky things about my work is that cause and effect may seem a little bit far apart. So the fact that the barista in Starbucks has possibly incorrectly given me the wrong change that's uh, this frustration which i've not let myself feel and then that's my body's letting me know that by then sending me a, 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 this headache that's you know cause and effect seem a little bit far away but people are used to thinking oh if i got a bad head it's you know it's caffeine or water or whatever so that's that that is the simple way that i that i work it becomes a little bit more complex because sometimes it's it gets deeper into the person's relationship with with themselves you know if if we're if we're looking at a deviation from true self so a person is not connected to their true self then there'll be there'll be reasons for that and having them reconnect is that can be something of a process because they have to learn to trust themselves. They have to learn to see themselves as as worthy and worthwhile. They have to really learn to love themselves to to a certain extent. So, but that that can all happen. But that does that make sense in terms of looking at how we unblock that emotional blockage? Yeah. And do you want to say anything about specifically how you actually unblock it? Like what? What in the work that you do makes that happen, well, or is that too much? Okay, so no, no, it isn't. I, it's it's it is. A, it would be a series of. If I give a couple of examples, it would be a series of things. So it, the, the the way I start working with people is I have them identify when they're having having increases in symptoms. That Starbucks example is is a genuine one, and I would suggest that as as a as, as a behavioural piece which part of the work is behaviorally focused i would invite that person to to begin with it's it's recognizing you know when they begin to reckon they can begin to recognize that okay well if i'm getting in, in if i'm getting a headache i've obviously missed some emotions all right so what what's going on here and it's okay well if i'm honest with myself i actually kind of i am my body is probably frustrated that i've been shortchanged quite literally here all right. Well, I'll go back up and I'll I'll talk to the guy behind the behind the counter there and tell him. So that would be that, you know that's that's taking a constructive action on the emotion that was there. So it could be to begin with that there you know it is looking at something behavioural. If my if my body's trying to give me a shove in a particular direction, it could also be. So I've got a client at the moment and. I think there are definite issues about loving himself. Uh, so he tends to find that he's he constantly tries to fix things for people. He's constantly he's constantly trying to help other people out, and it's all driven by the fact that he's very concerned about how other people perceive him. So he he wants he's looking to be validated from the outside. 
we need what I need for him to learn to do is to be validating himself. So there's a combination of behavioral things that he will stop doing or and start doing. And there may be some uh, little exercises, some guided feeling exercises that I would have him do where he can allow himself to begin to to feel and create feelings of of love and joy for himself. So this I, I, there's a it's, it's a bit of a process really i don't this you know i don't have a a step-by-step sequence of of doing things i but the i guess the biggest thing is trying to break patterns and have people reconnect with their true self so in the book what i've done is i've i guess i've highlighted a whole series of examples of, of exercises that i might invite people to do and all of the exercises are really meant as gentle nudges they're not meant as strict absolute techniques that somebody must apply they're just gentle nudges to get people to break patterns that may not be useful for them and to begin to develop that trust of true self which is really trusting their deeper feelings trusting that intuitive wisdom uh, that that is there within all of us yeah so true that that resonates so much and i think you know when we ask ourselves, what do I want or how do I feel right now? The answer is always there, but it's just getting through those layers of things that we're doing to block connection with ourselves. I think it's absolutely true. I think for the most part, with such a uh, an intellectually focused set of cultures that we're, we're disconnected from our feeling experience or much of it. So you know, I try to get people back in touch with their physical body with the idea that there is there's a wisdom in the body. And if you if you if you bring your attention into your body as you're going about your day to day life, and I don't mean forcing yourself in just again, a gentle nudge, because, you know, as I'm walking down the street, there'll be times when I'm aware of my body and times when I may be daydreaming. I, I don't want to force myself in a kind of a mindfulness kind of way where I've you know, it's where it's an absolute technique. But if I can develop a little bit more presence and with a with a knowledge that there is this kind of innate wisdom within me that is my true self, then I can sense when I'm having a, a nudge or a push or a an intuitive feeling and allow myself to pay attention to that. I, I think again, I say as a culture, we don't we just don't teach people to do that. We teach people to think their way through everything but i don't my sense of it is that we don't we don't get back to that true self by thinking i think it my sense is it's an absence of thinking that allows us to reconnect and you know then the it's it's almost like there's a flow that comes through us my first sort of realizations of this for myself were in my early 20s and this may sound a bit weird, but it it felt almost like there was a cord of energy that that moved through me, came through my back and out of my chest and kind of pulled me along. So my early 20s was a time of lots of anxiety and de- bouts of de- depression. And I, I, I analyzed absolutely everything. And I think spending five years at university probably didn't help. Because I just, I, I analyzed life, I analyzed myself, I analyzed everything I did. I lived in my head and I was deeply miserable. And I then began to get this sense of almost like a consciousness or energy that just pulling me. And my my head had become so cluttered 
but I, I, I felt like I'd almost reached a rock bottom where I just couldn't analyze anymore. And there was a, a, a surrender, I suppose, a letting go. And it, it was that from a place of, I just can't figure anything out. I can't decide on anything. So I'm just going to kind of let go. And when I did that, I said I had this I had this feeling, almost like this big cord of energy coming out of my chest, pulling me along. And that was, I think, the, the, the wisdom of the body, the intuitive true self, which was guiding me. And I think everyone can, can get back in touch with that. It's yeah, and I don't think you have to reach rock bottom to get there. It's just about spending a little bit more time being present in the body, with a knowledge that that energy is there, that consciousness is there, that that true self is going to guide you. But normally, what happens is that the chattering monkey in in the head uh, just is way louder. So we're so busy in our head thinking about the next six things that we have to do that we all that noise and the kind of white noise as well on the periphery of our consciousness, that tends to just drown out the, the intuitive feelings that, that we have. But it's there. It's all there underneath. Yeah. And you just touched on something that I was going to ask you about in the book. One of the last chapters, possibly the, the last chapter is called Human Needs and Tapping Your Creative Flow. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are talking about getting into your flow, but then there are a lot of people who've never heard about it. So I would love if you could talk more about that. So there's 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 a thing called flow state. And the, the, from my understanding of it, the the idea of flow state is is it's like a peak experience. So people that have talked about it often refer to kind of top athletes or people that may be engaged in dangerous sports. And there is this peak point where the level of arousal is reasonably high. Cognition is probably drops off a bit, but there's this, they're in this flow and their performance is, is particularly high. I, I'm modifying that notion with the idea within, uh, within the idea of, of, of uh, energy flow coaching to it being us just being in our own flow. So when I talked about, that kind of that cord of energy extending th you know through me and me just feeling pulled that wasn't a peak experience for me i wasn't necessarily performing at my best but i was in my own my own flow so it's that idea really that there there we can be a flow and if we pay attention to the feed, the feeling feedback that we have, and we allow ourselves to believe that. Well, if I if my body feels uncomfortable, it may be that I'm I'm moving away from my own flow. So let me just rather than ignoring that, maybe I can pay attention to that, and I can nudge myself back into my own flow. So the idea of energy flow is being aligned with our emotional feelings and our intuitive feelings, and allowing ourselves almost to be pulled along by this uh, intuitive wisdom in the body, this true self-wisdom. Great explanation. So I know when when there have been times where I've felt like I was in that state of flow, it's like it's a difference between things feeling so hard and trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and how to do it or whatever. It's just It's just happening and it's so easy and it's so natural and it's just like, 
and you're feeling like, yeah, this is okay. You know, if you're, if you're creating something or if you're, you're just, you're into what you're doing and it's just flowing naturally versus, well, what, what do I do here? How do I do this? What's next? And that more like thinking really controlled. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's, I think that's, that's, that's sort of spot on really. My sense is that when we begin to experience discomfort, it's, it's often because we are trying to figure out everything in our thinking brain. And then we set up how things should be, how things should happen, when it should happen. And we're trying to drag ourselves along because the thinking brain has decided this is what should happen. And if that runs counter to the the flow of our, our emotional and, and intuitive feelings, then what we get is this internal tension. And normally what happens is people try to push through and decide, oh no, this is, you know, I've got I've got this goal in my head. And this is what I, you know, what I have to achieve. This is what I have to do. And my, I say my sense of it is, well, you know, in the short term, that might be all right. But I, I don't think it's a particularly useful or a particularly comfortable way of 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 living. I, I would, you know, I think it's better to, and I think we can spend more time experiencing our own flow by allowing ourselves to believe that, well, if I'm feeling tension in my body, there's every chance that what my thinking brain has set up has decided should happen may not be really deep down what I want or the way I want to do it or the timeline that I want to do it on so by then coming back and trusting the wisdom of the body and going with that we can get back into that flow that's beautiful and you know I was thinking about people saying oh you can't just do whatever you want you can't just follow whatever feels right. You have to do what you're supposed to do. Everyone, things would be out of control. It'd be lawlessness. And it's like, I don't think our real true self is telling people to do things that harm other people or anything like that. It's more, it's more connected. I think it's more connecting. So if everyone was really operating from that place, probably it would be a lot kinder. There'd be less violence, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be like just like, you know, a free for all. <laughs> well, I think, what I know, want is this. So I'm going to take I, from you I, and absolutely. hurt you and stuff. I, I think this is, you know, and I'm going back to what I was saying earlier. I, I think much of our behavior is driven to try to get away from internal discomfort. And I think a lot of destructive behavior stems from that space where people believe that life outside of them is directly causing how they feel. So they have to change something out in life in order to feel different. And I think that is a major cause of bad behavior. Uh, you know, if I can, you know, if if my, if I walk into the bathroom and my wife has squeezed the toothpaste tube from the middle and <laughs> I feel a huge amount of rage, that rage says more about my state of consciousness in that moment than it does about the toothpaste tube, because there will be probably eight out of 10 times I'll walk into the bathroom and she's done the same thing. And I will just kind of <laughs> smile and squeeze from the bottom and even even out the toothpaste in the tube. you know. But so but I think that, you know, what people too frequently do is see that toothpaste tube 
feel the feelings, believe that the toothpaste is causing them to feel like that, and then they behave in a destructive way. Whereas being in that space of recognizing, well, my state of consciousness exists on a spectrum, which I I've highlighted a couple of times in the in the book. And there are times when I feel connected to my true self and therefore I feel rosy and happy and all, all life is good. And there are times when I'm a little bit more disconnected, feel a bit off kilter. And when I feel a bit off kilter like that, my perception of life is a little bit more negative or hostile. My perception of myself is not so good and I'm more emotionally reactive. Simply knowing that I think is incredibly useful because as I say, then if I have a large amount of negative emotion, rather than blaming what's going on outside, I can look and say, well, actually, it's just my state of consciousness in this moment. And I know that I, my natural, my natural blueprint, my natural template wants to pull me back into flow, wants to pull me back up to, up to the higher, higher uh, consciousness end of the spectrum. And if I react and if I believe that the toothpaste tube is causing my anger, it's just going to keep me locked in a low consciousness space. And I think we have a lot of that. I think we have a lot of people, you know, people that people be, who behave in a destructive and aggressive and angry manner. They're they're operating from low consciousness because they're living in perpetual fear and anger and they're trying desperately to fix it, but they're trying to fix it in a destructive way. And by doing that, they're keeping themselves locked in a low consciousness space. So if only they knew this, that actually it's not that as life is making me like this. It's it's what I'm doing. It's keeping me locked down there. If I just let myself feel, I'll naturally gravitate back up towards the higher consciousness flow end of the spectrum. Oh, what a wonderful way to finish this conversation. I love that. Thank you so much. So Kyle. Yeah. So I know we talked in the first episode that we did together about how just reading a book isn't going to be the answer to everything, but tell people how for anyone who might've missed the first interview, let's I'll direct them back to part one, but let's tell them how they can find you more of what you're doing and possibly do energy flow coaching with you. So the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and high street retailers. It's on Kindle, it's on audiobook, The Intelligent Body. You can find me uh, on two websites, kyledavies.net and also on energyflowcoaching.com. And yeah, I I work with um, individuals, with organizations on a range of things from you know, people that are chronically with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, anxiety, uh, depression, through to people that just feel a bit stuck or they want to improve their performance. They want to be, you know, better employees, better managers, better husbands. So, yeah, please do get in touch with me and see if I can help you. I'm sure many people are going to want to because people do listen to this from all over the world. And you're in Wales, but you can work with people anywhere. I do. Yeah, I probably I would say 60 percent of my clients are U.S. based. Interestingly, so I do do a lot of work via Skype. So, yes, I'm amenable to uh, all over the world. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for coming back to Therapy Chat and sharing your wisdom with us. I, I think that this was a really fascinating conversation and um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much. Thank you very much to you as well, Laura. I look forward to being invited back for a third time. (laughs) Hey, I can totally see that happening.
Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Kyle Davies. I just love talking with him. I think that that was a fascinating conversation. I hope you learned something and maybe found some inspiration for how you can deal with a chronic pain or chronic illness issue that's been bothering you. I've noticed more and more that many of my clients are dealing with chronic pain or chronic illness. And we know there's a connection, as Gabor Mate explained in his interview with childhood stress and childhood trauma, childhood traumatic stress and physical and emotional health. If you missed that one, go back and listen to episode 79, my interview with Gabor Mate called Childhood Traumatic Stress, The Mind-Body Connection. Once again, I want to thank you for listening. Please, if you enjoy Therapy Chat, subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. You can also download the app on iTunes and that's free. You get all your Therapy Chat episodes in one place. I'll admit when I listen to podcasts on my podcasting app, if I don't plan ahead, sometimes it's hard to find the ones I want to listen to in that moment and it can be frustrating. So that's why I wanted to create this Therapy Chat app so that you would always be able to find all your favorite episodes in one place. Though it is only for iTunes users at this time, I think the response has been really great and I'm planning on trying to get the Android version going in 2018. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. 